so that's the story that we began a couple of weeks ago, a series entitled The Big God Story. And what we are trying to do is understand sort of the big rocks, the big chapters in the story of the Bible, so that regardless of where we might be in it, that we would understand how it fits. And God has been telling one story from the beginning of time, and one story runs through the Bible. But some parts of it at various times are hard to understand. And there are things in life that are often very hard to understand. Like, for example, last week's cowboy game. Um, there was something that was hard to understand, right? Cowboys steamrolled the Buccaneers. That was awesome. But then there was the kicker who missed not one, not two, not three, but four extra points, right? The record was three. He wanted to cement his place in the history of the NFL for all time by missing four. And I was a little bit disturbed. There's a big game coming up this week. And so I got a hold of the film and I took a closer look, slowed it down, you know, zoomed in. And I think I may have found the issue that led to our challenges with the kicker last week. I want to show you something. See if you can spot the issue um, that may have, um, you know, presented itself. It's subtle. So you got to look closely, but check it and see if you can <laughs> see the problem. Can't believe we fell for that one again. <laughs> no, but when it comes to the Bible, there are times when it can be a bit of a challenge. And here's what I think may be part of that. That we come to the Bible and we recognize this book. It's actually 66 books that are put together unlike any other book the world has ever seen, um, written over the span of some 1,200 years, 40 different authors, three different continents, yet it tells one story. But we might just pick it up and say, well, you know, just like any other book that you read, you start at the beginning and just make your way through, right? I mean, that's how novels unfold, but the Bible is different. And even in the Old Testament alone, there are three different kinds of literature that are in there. You've got history, and you've got prophecy, and you've got what's often called wisdom literature, things like the Psalms. And so if you were going to read like the story of Lewis and Clark, and you were going to read some Shakespeare, and you're going to read a financial forecast for where the economy's going, you recognize those things are written in different ways and trying to communicate different things. But if we come to the Bible and just think, well, it's just, you know, read from beginning to end. And maybe you'd pick that up and you'd read in Genesis and there's some, you know, fascinating stuff there, um, some stories that are interesting. And then you get to Exodus and there's some people set free, but then some, some rules show up and some laws. And then if you've ever made it to Leviticus, it gets a little weird in Leviticus. And a lot of people get lost in Leviticus because all of a sudden it just seems to kind of bog down and come to a grinding halt. And maybe we think this is boring, or maybe we think this is confusing. And so what we're trying to do is understand where those different pieces fit with the overriding goal that we could come to this and understand where we are in the story. Well, let me give you an overview of what I think, you know, the picture of the Bible, you know, kind of looks like. There's a theme in the Old Testament, and it is a Savior is coming. And a lot of things pointing in that direction. In the New Testament, right, you got Jesus there at the beginning of the New Testament and everything that comes after it, the theme of the New Testament is a Savior has come. It really is all about Jesus and everything is pointing in his direction. 
And so where are we in the scheme of this? You know that line there in the Old Testament? We're about an eighth of an inch in, and you think, how long is this series going to be? We're going to pick up some speed here as we move along. Here's where we began. Let me give you a little bit of a recap. God created everything. Everything that there is. The universe, the world, us. And alone in God's creation, humanity has the opportunity to be in a relationship with God. And God did that. Why? So that he could share his love with us. But for it to truly be love, there has to be a choice. And so there was a choice one day that a man and a woman decided, you know what? We're not going to walk with God. We're not going to stay inside of his boundaries. We're going to go ahead and do the one thing in all the provision that we had that is going to step outside of what God has for us. And the results of that were catastrophic. And a relationship with God was lost. A relationship with each other was lost. And there was all kinds of brokenness that came into this world of ours. And here's where we left off last week was in Genesis 3.21. Right after that happens, the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God goes out into his perfect creation and he finds an animal. What had that animal ever done? Nothing. And he kills it. And he takes the skin off it to cover the shame and the guilt of the people that defied him, that walked away from him, that severed the relationship that was there. And that sets in motion a theme that begins to unfold in the Bible. And if you've been in the Old Testament, you probably know this. There are a lot of sacrifices back there. There are a lot of animals that are dying back there. And we may wonder, why is that? And I've asked, been asked this question, and maybe you have as well. Why don't we still do all of those sacrifices today? Why not? Are we picking and choosing? Now, we have one rule at our house. Well, a couple of rules. But one rule that we have with watching movies is no movies about animals. You know why? Because it's always going to be sad. I don't know what it is. I can watch a movie about half the human race being annihilated, but if a dog dies, it's over, right? And it's just <laughs> terrible. Um, years ago, there was a movie um, that people, you know, kind of told me about a little bit. It's called Marley and Me, about a dog with a family. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Have never seen it, never will. Animal movies are sad, and I don't want to have that grief in my life. You look in the Old Testament, and there's a lot of animals dying. Why? What is that? And why did God establish this system of all these sacrifices? What is that all about? We see the beginning of it right here. That to deal with the response to what happened when people defied God, there was death, there was a sacrifice, there was a covering. And then things move on from there. We're told that Adam and Eve have two sons. One is named Cain, one is named Abel. It's time to bring a sacrifice. And Cain brings a sacrifice that is a salad. And Abel brings a sacrifice that is meat. And God accepts Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's sacrifice. There's conflict after that. Cain winds up killing Abel as a result of that. But already you see this idea that on the other side of recognizing that we've missed it, there needs to be this sacrifice. Not too long after that, we come in contact with a guy named Noah. And the description of the days and the time of Noah go like this, that there was only evil, only darkness in the heart of humanity all the time, except for Noah and his family. And so God calls him to build an ark 
and he's going to preserve his family, but it's as if God hits the reset button and judgment comes, and there's a lot of people who wind up experiencing what that is like. And then when Noah lands the ark, he brought a couple extra animals with him. What's one of the first things he does? He sacrifices a couple of animals. Some innocent animals die. Not too long after that, there's a guy named Abraham, and God comes to him and says, through you, I'm going to create a people, and I'm going to give you a promise that one day there is going to be one that comes through that nation who is going to redeem and restore and change everything as we know it. And then one day in that experience, that journey together with Abraham, God tells him, take your son, your one precious son that you've been waiting for for so long, take him on the mountain and sacrifice him. And Abraham responds to that. He's going to do that at the last moment. God steps in and says, no, don't do it. I'm going to provide the sacrifice. I will do it. But again, there's this idea of sacrifice that begins to become this recurring theme throughout. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. They form the 12 tribes that eventually become this nation called Israel. And one day they go down into Egypt and they are enslaved there. And for 400 years, they find themselves in slavery. But then one day, God calls a guy named Moses and says, it's time to set my people free. So go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to release my people but he's not real quick to do this. And so God begins this series of plagues. And the last plague is the most serious of all. And God tells the people ahead of time, take a lamb, take its blood, sacrifice it, and put it on the door frame of your home because judgment is coming. But if that judgment sees this blood that has been applied to the door frame of your house, it will pass over you. And those people who applied that blood experienced life and people who didn't experienced judgment. And so finally, the people are set free and they're taken out um, into the wilderness. And then Moses is going to go on a mountaintop to meet with God. That's the time when he gets the things called the Ten Commandments. And it's like, I'm going to go meet with God, the one true God. You guys stay here and be good. Did they? know? Moses comes down. They're building a, a calf out of gold. You're going to worship something else aside from the one true God who was up on the mountaintop. And so God establishes these Ten Commandments. We can maybe call them, you know, um, kind of casually like house rules. You are my people. I have delivered you. You belong to me. But there are ways in which we can live in mutually beneficial ways with each other. And so God establishes these commandments. But he also says, I'm going to take up a residence in the center of your camp. We're going to walk in the wilderness for a while. And every time you camp, right in the center of the camp, um, I'm going to give you some blueprints to create something. It's called a tabernacle. And there in that tabernacle, I want you to offer sacrifices on a regular basis. And it's to cover the sins of the people, because as you probably know, some of the Ten Commandments are things, you know, that we can wrestle with. What are some of the Ten Commandments? Well, don't murder anybody. That's a really good rule, right? The world needs that rule. And maybe in this room, we'd say, yeah, never done that. It also says, don't desire something that anybody else has. Their stuff, their spouse, you know, things that belong to them. And I think even we all these years later know, yeah, that's a lot easier said than it is done. And so what do you do? 
because the God who created everything because he loves us and wanted to share his love with us, he is also a God who is just. And love and justice exist in the attributes of God. How can you be loving and just? Because we might say, why can't God just kind of look the other way to the things that happen in this world? I don't know about you, I like a show called Dateline. I think I've seen every episode that has ever been created of that. I love how they track down people who have done some terrible things and they bring some justice to those situations. Could you imagine if somebody is guilty of something terrible and they're brought before a judge that the judge says, you know, we all have bad days. Let's just let this one slide. And I think there's something inside of us that would say, no, that's not right. There needs to be justice. You can't just let it slide. And so the God who loves us and continues to walk with us, why? Because he loves us, is also a God who is just. And so to deal with the things that miss the mark of what God has given to us, there was this contract, this agreement, this covenant that there would be sacrifices. And they happen on a regular basis. And so maybe to picture that a little bit, if meeting God's standard looks a little bit like this, fresh, bright, white sock, if that is, you know, what it's supposed to be like, I think that we all know that sometimes our experience looks a little bit more like this, that it isn't exactly the same. And so what are you to do when the reality does not measure up to the standard? And if the standard is holiness, holiness has the idea of being set apart, It also includes purity. And I think in our honest moments, we know, yeah, I don't know. I don't measure up to my own standards, much less God's. So where does that leave me? So God says, let's establish this covenant, this agreement, that when we miss it, there's a sacrifice because sin is a serious deal and missing the mark is serious. So there's this establishment where sin is taken care of through a sacrifice. And something along with that though that you know, would cover over that sin, kind of move it down the road a little bit, um, I've got Febreze um, to illustrate that. I don't know if you know what this is. This comes out on the nights that small group meets at our house because we have two Australian shepherds and this covers some things that need to be covered when you have two Australian shepherds. Have you seen the commercials for this? You know, you got a stinky, sweaty, smelly football team sitting on a couch and mom brings out the Febreze and sprays it. It doesn't remove anything, it just covers it. And that's what this system was all about, the system of sacrifices. That a sacrifice was made, what did that do? It covered over the sins for a while. It was temporary. And then it would happen again, and there'd be a sacrifice. And it would happen again, and there would be a sacrifice. And it would happen again, and there'd be a sacrifice. And for a long time, this system just continues on and on and on. And we wonder, why is it that animals had to die because sin is this serious issue? And the sacrifices would atone for sin. What does atone mean? It means to cover It doesn't remove, it covers. It moves the issue down the road. It is a temporary solution to the issues of what have played out in my life. And one day a year, there was a special day. It was called the Day of Atonement. 
On that day, a very special group of people called the Levites who were in charge of doing all of these sacrifices for the people. One of those people, the high priest, would go into the holy place. Inside their tabernacle, there was a special place. There was a big curtain sealing it off. That is where the very presence of God was. And you didn't dare go in there because it was serious business to approach that place on your own. But the high priest would go in there one time a year. And he would go behind the veil. And first he would purify himself. He'd put the Febreze on himself and he would go in there. And you know what they did? They would literally tie a rope around his ankle because if all of a sudden he went in there and just peeled over, they would pull him out. And here's how it went when the high priest went in that place. He'd go in there, offer a sacrifice and basically say, we're really sorry. And he'd come back out. And you know what would happen? The system would start over again. And there would be the reality of life and missing the mark. And there would be a sacrifice. And it would atone. What does atone mean? It means to cover. It doesn't permanently remove anything. It just covers for a time and moves the issue down the road. And for 1,500 years, that's how it went. But remember, God made a promise that one day someone was coming and it was going to change everything. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament talks a little bit about this. It says first about the Old Testament sacrifices. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. What does that teach us? It teaches us that sin requires a sacrifice. Sin is serious. Sin is the thing that separated humanity from God at the very beginning. And it's the thing with a holy God that still continues to separate us. And so how do you deal with it? And God established a covenant, an old covenant, an old agreement, an old contract. But there was one day going to come a change. And God talked about this in advance. This is in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a what? New covenant, a new agreement with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. There's that whole Ten Commandments thing right there. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. One day it is going to be dealt with in a full and final way. And we're not going to have to go back again and again and again and again. And I think for a long time people wondered, well, what's that going to be? That sounds great. To actually solve the problem once and for all time. What is that going to look like? What we learn from the sacrificial system though is really important. Because everything that happened before helps us to understand religion doesn't work. Because religion is us working our way into God's good graces. It's relying on the things that we do in order to make ourselves right with God. But it's not a full and final solution. It is not what restores us with God. 
at best, it just moves the issue down the road. But one day, it was going to be different. This is in the book of Hebrews again. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. That's another way of saying all of those things that happened before was pointing to the one who was coming in the future. Things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. It's not the solution. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year teaches us the reality about ourselves, about the seriousness of it. For it is impossible with the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It covers, it does not remove. So what is ultimately going to do that? And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Sitting down is an image that it's done. It's finished. Jesus is the only one who never missed the standard that is holiness. Met it every time. He's the only one who never missed the mark and then voluntarily allowed himself to be offered as a sacrifice. One day, the apostle, or I should say John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What was he talking about with lambs and sacrifices? And he makes a once and for all time sacrifice. And when he was hanging on the cross, his last words were not, it is covered temporarily for a while. His words were, it is finished. Another way to say that, paid in full. We're not moving the issue down the road again. Instead, Jesus came to basically take out the trash and all the sin that separates us from God and to take it away once and for all time. And everything that came before was pointing to him and his coming and what he would accomplish and what could never be done by the repeated system of just covering. Now it can be removed. Now we can be in a relationship with Jesus because of what he has done. Because in Jesus, love and justice meet. God loves you. And because he loves you, he made a way for you to belong to him. He's also just. And so he took your place and mine and made payment for you and me. And on the other side of that, the things that we do, filling boxes, doing other acts of compassion, serving each other, encouraging each other, maybe even going public with our faith through something called baptism. We're not checking off things on a list. We're not trying to do our best to work our way into God's good graces. It's all a response. It's a response to the goodness that we have received. It is finished in Jesus. 
And what we do on the other side of that is our response to the grace of God. In the first service today, we had somebody go public with their faith through baptism. That's not earning anything in a relationship with God. That comes entirely by God's grace. It's responding to his goodness. Check out this baptism. We got Fred here. It's a beautiful thing to see Fred. Fred's a good friend. And uh, Fred's story is, after coming to WHC and hearing the sermon that said, all I needed was to believe grace, not that I had to earn my way to heaven and realize that God loved me unconditionally for who I was, not for what I did. It was then I received who the sun sets free is free indeed. And we sang that today. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Fred, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Based upon your profession of faith, it is my privilege to honor and honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A response to the grace of God. If you have never come to the place of putting your trust in Jesus, that's where love and justice meet and has your name all over it. He did it for you and he did it for me. One sacrifice for all time so that our sin could be removed, not just covered, not temporary, permanent, and it's personal. Would you bow your heads together with me as I pray? God, thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for every aspect of your character and your nature that are all important. And God, we're thankful also that you're a just God. And God, thank you that you, in your great wisdom, not only pointed away, but you came to be the way for us to be made right with you and for our sin to be dealt with once and for all time. And God, what would it look like if a group of people just leaned hard into that and rolled their eyes and wonder at times about how good God has been and just sought to share that and live that out in all kinds of different ways to bless their communities, to bless people halfway around the world. And God, not with some sense of, uh, of have to, but just a sense of can you believe what we have been given? How far God's love has gone. And so God, help our hearts to be filled with the gratitude that comes in knowing and grasping what you have done and reaching all the way down here and extending grace, your free gift that is found only in you. Thank you for offering a once and for all time sacrifice. You, Jesus, are enough for us to be made right with a holy God. May our hope be in you, maybe for the first time ever, but maybe God, we need to learn day by day how it is that we can trust you and walk with you and just experience life together with you. So lead us in that direction, God, for your name's sake. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen.